The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather this autumn Sunday. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation through WBUR 90.9 FM and our listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, and when and as it is again permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Today's service of worship includes the greeting and sermon new this week, along with music and liturgy rebroadcast from earlier services. Our preacher this week is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, University Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
May we pray. Lord, we pray that your grace may always precede and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, it is our practice, tradition, and custom to begin each Lord's Day in worship and to begin that worship with a moment of confession to recognize that we are frail and fallible and day by week by month are prone to speak and act in ways that, in unforeseen ways sometimes, that hurt and harm others. So in confession, in contrition, in lament, we pause to offer our individual words of prayer. As the choir guides us, may we bow in in silent prayer. Beloved, hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf, And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to rebel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf 
and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. 
Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my little companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 106 with the Antiphon. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty doings of the Lord or declare all his praise? Happy are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you deliver them, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in your heritage. Both we and our ancestors have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. They made a calf at Horeb and worshipped a cast image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Glory to you, O Lord. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed the man there was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let there be peace among us, and let us not be part of our own or another's oppression. We have before us today one of the craziest parables in the New Testament. But rather than ignoring it, which I have somehow managed to do, I want to use it as an illustration of something we don't often think about, which is that the gospel is not so much a single immutable statement as it is a dynamic living force in all our lives and often works in ways we don't even notice. Without even being aware of it, All of us interpret our experience in light of our faith and also interpret our faith in light of our experience. I recall when I was engaged and was searching for a church to hold our wedding, I had four places in mind that had supported and affirmed my ministry over the years. I spent a few weeks visiting and speaking with the clergy at these various churches. All along, checking in with my parents as to how I was perceiving the cost involved. As I am an only child and had waited so long to get married, my father just said, "Whatever whatever place you choose, don't worry about the cost. So I had an appointment at the church I thought was going to be the it church. This was the church I wanted to be married in. This was going to be just a matter of having a chat, booking the date, 
and when and where to send a check. All good, right? But it didn't go like that. The meeting started jovial enough, showing off my engagement ring. Happy to be here. This is exciting. The date and time were available. As I had done my research at each of the churches I looked at, I knew exactly how much each place cost. Suddenly, the conversation turned to the cost that would be involved. The priest then said, you know that it is expensive to get married here. Does your family have that type of money? I was shocked. I was speechless. I assured the clergy person that indeed money wasn't an object as I had done my homework before I arrived and knew the cost involved. I was suddenly aware that to them, my clothes weren't good enough. When I later spoke to my father, he responded, I guess you won't be getting married there. The theme of the clothes make the person sounds like something out of the advertising boardroom of John Draper in the series Mad Men. But actually, it has its roots going back over many years. Erasmus writes, Vestus virum facit, clothes make the man. Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet, the apparel off proclaims the man. And the late writer Tom Wolfe wrote, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Wow. By itself, the parable is kind of crazy. The reign of God is likened to a ruler who invites people to a wedding banquet. Rather than simply refuse to come, those invited end up beating and killing the servants who came to summon them to the banquet. The king, justifiably upset by this rebuff, then has the people on the first guest list murdered and their city destroyed. This is followed by an invitation to others, one of whom comes without the proper wedding robe on. The poor soul gets bound hand and foot and thrown out. This, we are told, is what the reign of heaven is like, homicidal guests and enraged kings. It doesn't make any sense until you realize that Matthew is using the story that he got from the tradition to interpret the recent history of his whole world. In other words, we have to place ourselves in the writer's shoes in order to interpret this in our own lives. Matthew wrote his gospel after Judaism as a whole had declared that Christianity was not an authentic interpretation of the tradition. After, that is, Christians have been thrown out of the synagogue and told to go their own way. He was also writing after the destruction of Jerusalem by Roman troops, 
following the Jew Jewish rebellion of 63 to 73. He took this parable and reworked it into an interpretation of that history. We know this because there are three forms of this parable, two of them quite different from this one. In Luke's version, the householder invites a bunch of people to come to the banquet and they refuse for various reasons. Though upset, he presses on and invites others who do come. That is the whole story. In the Gospel of Thomas, the guests refuse to come for a bunch of reasons associated with business dealings, whereupon Thomas concludes that business people are not going to get into the realm of God. We start with a story from Jesus, which simply says that God will not be deterred. If one group of people refuses to join the realm of God, God will invite others. And if they don't look like the right sort of people, well, too bad. The reign of God is open to everyone who will come. That is good news. Matthew uses the story to create a kind of allegory of what had actually happened in the past 20 years. We may accept his interpretation of that history or reject it as offensive, but whether we accept it or reject it, we need to see what has happened. Matthew is doing something we do all the time, interpreting his experience in the light of his faith, wearing the clothes of his faith through the experiences in his life. I would like to offer this morning an expansion on how we are clothed, offering the word clothing not as a tangible item, something that we choose out of our lived experience. The Reverend Dr. William Rich shared this poem with me written by the early 20th century theologian Charles Williams. Williams also struggled with the path passage in Matthew's Gospel, but sheds new light on how we are clothed. From a portion of his poem, he writes, The great hall and the heavenly stair, one blaze of glorious changes there, cloaks, brooches, decorations, swords, jewels, every virtue that affords. Beauty to wearers not their own, this guest his brother's courage wore, that his wife's zeal while just before, she in his steady patience shone. There a young lover had put on the fine integrity of sense. His mistress used magnificence. A father borrowed of his son, who was not there, shame to don his father's wise economy. No, he or she was he or she, merely no single being dared, except the angels of the guard come without other kind of dress. 
than his poor life had to profess. And yet those very robes were shown when from Percival as his own into another's glory given bright ambiguities of heaven. We are clothed in many things from people who have touched our lives over the years. My friend, the Reverend Judith Stewart, put this best in a take from Snow White. Mirror, mirror on the wall, I am my mother after all. I wear the clothing of perseverance for my father. I wear the clothing of a fourth-generation college graduate from my mother, my grandfather, and my great-grandfather. I wear my clothing of social and economic justice from my godmother, LeClaire Knox. I wear my compassion for the poor from Detroit social justice pioneers, Dr. Irene Graves and Dr. Francis Cornegay. We always interpret our faith in light of experience, in light of the spiritual clothes that we wear. We do this especially in the church. A couple of generations ago, most Episcopalians believed that a woman could not be a priest. God simply would not sanction or bless such a thing. Today, the vast majority of the Episcopalians see it differently and believe, indeed, know that God does recognize as valid and good the ministry of women as priests and as bishops. This is interpreting our faith in light of our experience. Most importantly, we do this in our daily lives. Many Christians interpret most or even all of what happens to them in light of their faith. Every illness, Every job change, every challenge or opportunity is interpreted as brought to them by God. Others less certain about the ceaseless and direct intervention of God in daily life nevertheless look back upon much of their experience as being in some way influenced by God. I have a number of friends who have described periods of difficulty that finally ended with some sort of wonderful new opportunity they never would have discovered were it not for the trouble as being a case of God closing doors in order to open windows. When they reflected and prayed on the spiritual clothing that they were cloaked in, that how about this enduring difficulty with the deep belief that God means you well, and seeing in what happens demonstration of that fact. It is, in other words, interpreting the experience in light of your faith. On the other hand, I have seen people go through similar sorts of things and come out with an entirely different view of God. People who long believe that God causes everything that happens have come through periods of great sadness and said that they knew God could not, would not have done that. And as a result of crisis, came to believe very deeply in a God 
who did not cause all that to happen, but rather abided in love with people through all that happens. That is interpreting your faith in light of your experience, your history. We all do both these things all the time. The only question is whether we notice it or not. And we need to notice, not because it is common, but because it is sacred. It is part of the way we interact with God. We know this because this is exactly what goes on in the development of scripture all the time. And our parable today from Matthew's gospel is a remarkable example of that. Scripture itself is quite often not just the recitation of ancient facts. Much more often, it is the product of the dynamic interaction between deeply faithful people and their own experience of the world in light of the faith they have in God. The call of this parable today is not to see the reign of God as dominated by enraged people who kill and cast out. The call of this parable is to a dynamic faith that is willing to risk interacting with its own tradition, willing to risk itself for the sake of an even deeper faith that speaks ever more clearly to present situations, willing for us to recognize and honor the ways in which we have been clothed and supported and loved. The structure and development of today's passage from Matthew demonstrates that faithfulness to scripture does not require us to take every word as historically accurate, but rather there is a deeper faithfulness which calls us to wrestle with these texts, to work on them, and even argue with them, much as the first evangelist did. We do this all the time without knowing it, and today we are reminded that this is one of the places where we meet the divine. In the end, I was married at the parish I was serving as an assistant priest, Christ Church Needham. The entire parish was invited, and we were all clothed in a way that was pleasing to God. Amen.
As we come to the time in our service for prayer, the choir leads us in our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gifts of life, for the gift of your Son, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lead us through the trials, the suffering and sorrow, the challenges and struggles, the tired times and the dark places. Be with those who weep or cannot sleep, who have no peace. Remind us of our call to care for those around us and to care for this earth. Lead us with grace, with love, with peace. Fill us with hope, with patience, with stamina. Transform us to grow, to understand, to see. Transform us that we may boldly accept the call to your feast and extend the invitation to all that we need. Transform us that we can be made whole, and in wholeness may we be the hands and the heart of Christ. Amen. Now, with the confidence of the children of God, we pray as Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Dear God, thank you for blessing us with the gifts we bring before you today. Bless those who will receive these gifts and grant them your peace. In all this we pray. Amen. ocean and the night surrounded my little life 
with a reassurance that could not be affronted by any human behavior. The ocean at night gave me a sense of timelessness, of existing beyond the ebb and flow of consciousness. Death would be a small thing, I felt, in the sweep of that natural embrace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.